ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Please open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. And so while, while you're turning there, um, this is the, I want to say a couple of things about this passage. One, that means that we are um, now into the final chapter of Ephesians. You know, many of you doubted we would ever get there, but we have gotten there. Um, also, um, you know, I, some of you know me well enough and you've talked to me before about how, um, how I plan out and schedule um, sermon series and so forth. I know, I know no one's counting, but we started Ephesians on September 12th, 2021. Whenever we started there, you know, of course I planned for Mother's Day in 2023 that we'd be right here on this passage, right, with children and parents. No, it, it just, it's the way it worked out, and so we're, we're here in God's kindness and providence. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. And so you may remember, I've been reminding you of this, that, that before... Paul started to teach, began teaching about these household relationships. Before he began to address wives and husbands, he taught us about being spirit-filled Christians. Remember in in, uh, Ephesians 5 verse 18 says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Then he fleshes out for a few verses what that means. You know, includes, you know, worshiping God from the depths of our hearts. It includes encouraging and uh, spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. It, incur- it includes having hearts filled with thankfulness and gratitude for God always and in everything. It also includes submitting ourselves to one another, seeking to outserve one another. And then from that, that teaching on the spirit-filled life, Paul addresses wi- uh, wives and husbands. Today in our text, we'll see he addresses children and parents. Next Sunday, we'll see he addresses servants and masters. Then after Paul addresses the topics of marriage, parenting, and and the workplace, he's going to say in Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 11, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so for the last several weeks, I've been reminding you that in between Paul's teaching on the spirit-filled life and his teaching on spiritual warfare and, and putting on the armor of God, we find marriage and parenting in the workplace. Because the point is that the spirit-filled life is lived out in our marriages, in our families, in our careers, and how we live with, relate to, and, and serve those around us. That the battleground for spiritual warfare really is our marriages and our families, our friendships, our workplace relationships. Right? Our, our sanctification, our, our, our growth in Christ's likeness, our spiritual maturity is, is seen and measured in our marriages, in our families, in our careers. In the ordinary, everyday, mundane interactions, exchanges, disagreements, opportunities we have with those who we live with and work with, and that most certainly includes our parent-child relationships. Now, let me me say this about the the topic of of parenting before we enter in. Um, 
Alistair Begg, I think a wise pastor, he once said this, quoting a man, when I was young, I had six theories and no kids. Now I have six kids and no theories. You know, my my oldest daughter is only 16 years old, and some of you think, wow, how is she 16? Well, I've been here a long time. That's how she's 16. But she's only 16. I still have a whole lot to learn about parenting, and so I certainly enter into the pulpit today and open this text before you with great humility, and yet committed to, to reading and preaching these four verses with all the pastoral wisdom and care that I can all the while in great dependence on God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit to move through his word in our, in yours and mine, in our hearts today. In the hearts of parents, in the hearts of children. So hear now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, life-giving word. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And it's absolutely true. It's given to us in love for our good. We're going to look at these four verses under two headings. Very simple outline. You can see it from the text. Word for children and a word for parents. Word for children, a word for parents. And so first, a word to children. Look at verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So right from the beginning, notice that Paul addresses covenant children. If you think back to to how Paul opened this letter to the Ephesians, it's, it's not that different than how he opens most of his letters to the various churches. But back in Ephesians 1.1, we read, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So you see, Paul's writing to the visible, professing church in Ephesus. That's who he's writing to. And you may remember that I say this every time, every time we receive new members. I say this sentence. A local church consists of all those professing Christians who, along with their children, are associated together to live their faith, to work together, who seek individually and jointly to serve the Lord in witness and service. All those professing Christians, along with their children. See, put another way, the the children of believers are covenant children. And by virtue of their covenant baptism, they are members of the church. And so, so children, listen, this, this is your church. It's not just mom and dad's church, it's your church. I'm not just mom and dad's pastor. I'm your pastor. This is your church. God's word has something to say to you. That's why Paul addresses the covenant children that they're not addressed as, as outsiders. They're addressed as members of the visible church, the local church. And notice that Paul expects them to be present in gathered worship, the, the, the worshiping assembly to hear the word of God read. Therefore, he addresses them directly. He doesn't merely you know, talk of, uh, to parents about their children, but Paul addresses children directly. 
This would have been incredibly radical 2,000 years ago in the first century. Because the topic of parenting was, was addressed by the various scholars and, and poets and teachers, but, but children were never directly addressed. And notice it's, it's children. It's, it's boys and girls, both addressed, which also would have been quite radical in the first century. And so look again at Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And so children, do you see that, that the Apostle Paul has something to say to you? And what he has to say is, obey your parents. Now th- this verse is it's not hard to understand, is it, children? I, 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 think, I think we understand what this verse means. Now, it's sometimes hard to do, we can all admit that, but it's not hard to understand. What God's Word says is that it's right, and it pleases the Lord, for children to obey their parents. And that Greek word that's translated obey means to, to hear under. So children, think about what that means, that, that God's Word calls you to to listen to your parents' instructions as someone who's under them, as someone who's under their care, under their authority, under their, you, know, you are their responsibility. That you're, you're not to see yourself as an equal, so you're debating everything, and you're certainly not to see yourself as above them, as if you know better than your parents. This is why I think both children and parents alike know that whenever parents try to be you know, best friends with their kids, instead of being mom and dad, they eventually run into problems, sometimes disastrous problems. Right? God's design is for young children, you know, those who are still on the payroll, you know what I mean, to, to, to obey, to hear, to listen under their parents. Look again at verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So there's a qualification. And Pastor Sinclair Ferguson, he fleshes out what's meant by this qualification. He says, Paul adds a qualification. Children are to be obedient in the Lord. Some parents command their children to do things that are absolutely contrary to the will of God. But Paul is not thinking about that difficult situation here. Right, children, I mean, you're, you're not to obey your parents or anyone else who tells you to do something that's sinful, do something that's wrong. But that's not the situation. I mean, that's a hard, that's a, in many ways an impossibly hard situation. Tragic. But that's not what Paul's addressing. Ferguson goes on, he is addressing Christian parents and their children. Everything is to be seen within the context of our loving fellowship together with the Lord Jesus Christ. Children are to learn to obey the heavenly father by obeying their earthly fathers. God trains us to respond to his fatherhood, which we cannot see, by responding to earthly fatherhood, which we can see. He thinks of everything as he trains us to serve him in the future. So children, you see what this verse means? 
That if you've ever thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm just a kid. You know, I, I come in here and I, I sit here and, you know, and Pastor Richard reads the Bible and he talks for a long time about the Bible, but, but I, I'm just a kid. I mean, how can I serve God? How can I follow Jesus? Well, the scriptures tell you, obeying your parents is a big part of what it means for you to love and obey and follow Jesus. So look again at verse 6 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That word right means correct. It's righteous. It's just. And virtually every civilization and every century throughout all of human history has regarded children obeying parents as right, as essential to a stable and healthy family and society. And I think that's why we all know that that's the right thing. That's the right thing to do deep within our hearts. Right, children, that's why, that's why you, you often feel guilty and ashamed whenever you are disobedient to your parents. Whenever you lie to them. Whenever you try to cover things up. Right, it's a sin to disobey the, the good, faithful, reasonable commands from your parents. And you've heard me say this before. Know this, that sin is never, ever worth it. We'll talk more about that in just a moment but as we move through the passage, but, but sin never, ever takes you where you want to go. It never delivers on the promises. It's never ultimately worth it. Never makes things better. Never takes you where you want to go, and yet it charges you a much higher price than you expected to pay. In fact, you know, rampant disobedience to parents is a, is a clear sign of, of a godless pagan culture that's turned away from God. I want you to you know, listen to this, this series of, of verses I'm going to read from Romans chapter 1 and, and listen, listen you know, to, to, to all of these various sins, but notice what is among them. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Right there among all the rest. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. You see, children, your parents are, they are to insist on your obedience in, in both your actions and in your attitude. And you see why? Because it's right. It, it's what God requires your parents to do, that only a cruel and unloving parent would refuse to insist on obedience and honor from their children. You see, and children, you'll eventually begin to see eventually that, you know, for most of you, you'll eventually begin to see that your parents know at least a little bit more than you do. Probably as the years go by, you think back and go, you know what? They were pretty wise. They were right. They were right a lot more times than they were wrong. You know, Mark Twain put it this way. He said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. When I got to be 21... I was astonished at how much the old man had learned. And then at 31 and at 41, the more, the more he realized. 
So children, obey your parents. Then we see in verse 2 that there's the command to honor your father and mother. And so here Paul's quoting the fifth of the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20. Now, you know, the first four commandments deal with our relationship to God. And then the very first commandment that deals with our, our horizontal relationships, our relationships with one another, is to honor our father and mother. Before, before God commands us you know, not, not, to, not to murder and not to steal and not to lie and not to commit adultery, it says honor your father and mother. You see, if, if obey your parents deals with a child's actions, then the command to honor your father and mother addresses the, the attitude of the heart towards your parents. And, and like I said, don't miss that this is one of the Ten Commandments. Like there's only ten of the Ten Commandments. And that means that when children refuse to obey and honor their parents... They're ultimately refusing to honor and to obey the God who made them. You see, children, you're, you don't honor your parents whenever you do what they say only after rolling your eyes. You, you don't honor your parents whenever you do what they say while you also kind of mumble and grumble and huff and puff under your breath. It's not honoring to your parents whenever you do what they say only after they've had to remind you multiple times over and over again to do it. It's not honoring whenever you do what they say only after they've had to threaten some consequence for disobedience. Right? That's not honoring your parents. Commentator William Hendrickson says, to honor implies to love, to, highly, to regard highly, to show the spirit of respect and consideration. Now, our relationship to our parents does eventually change as, as we grow up, as we, as we are, move off of the payroll. We, we saw this last week at the end of Ephesians 5, that, that a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That eventually, you know, we, we become members of, of, of a different household, of a different family. However, we never outgrow the command to honor our parents even after we're off the payroll. Right, so he, he, here's a quote that, and some qualifications for the, the older, more mature children who are here today. This is from Dennis Rainey. He says, Honoring your parents does not mean endorsing irresponsibility or sin. It's not a denial of what they have done wrong as parents. It does not mean you, you flatter them by denying the emotional or even the physical pain they may have caused you. For an adult child... Honoring your parents will not place you back under their authority. It does not give them access to manipulate you. It, does, it doesn't mean crawling back into the cradle and becoming a helpless child again. Okay, so I mean, I know that, that for some of our families, they're marked by such, such sin and such intense and serious and deep-seated brokenness. That there are reasons to, to keep distance. I, I know that to be the case. But in a more normal circumstance, what honoring our father and mother means, it means that we choose to always place great value on our relationships with them. You know, what that means is you, know, you ought to call your mothers today. It means we take the initiative to improve the relationship as far as we are able to, as far as it depends on us. 
It means that we, we seek their advice. Even if we don't, you know, we don't have to follow it exactly, but we, 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 we allow them to, to speak into our lives. That, we're, that we serve them rather than uh, selfishly abandoning them. You know, Jesus taught in Matthew 15, Paul taught in 1 Timothy 5, that we are to financially support our aging parents if it's needed and if it's possible for us to do so. You know, part of honoring our father and mother throughout our whole lives is, is, you know, we know they're imperfect, but we recognize what they've done right. That we acknowledge the sacrifices they've made for us. That we make every effort to, to see them through, through the eyes of Christ. With understanding, with compassion, with, with patience, amid their imperfections and their failures and their flaws. And we make every effort to forgive them just as in Christ we have been forgiven. And, and there's a promise attached to this command to honor our fathers and mothers. Look at Ephesians 6, verses 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so children, I hope you see just how good and gracious our God is. He commands us to do what is right, to honor and to obey our parents, but then he graciously promises to bless us for doing what is justly required of us. Look at the blessing, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life in the land. Now, that's not a guarantee that obedience to your parents will prevent you from ever getting sick, ever experiencing failure or disappointment or having a serious accident and dying. I mean, these verses are not teaching us that, that Christians can somehow you know, magically prolong our life through the merit of good works of, of obeying and honoring our parents. The point is that children who honor their parents will often avoid the pitfalls and the troubles that the foolish, disobedient children just run right into. Right? The sadly, children who dishonor and disobey their parents very often endanger themselves physically and spiritually. And the Bible says this over and over and over again. You know, in, in the Bible's wisdom book, the book of Proverbs, we read Proverbs 4.10, Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. Proverbs 10.27, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Proverbs 14.12, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Right? You, you, see, you see, what God's word says is, listen, if, don't, don't follow your heart and be true to yourself if it means disobeying God's word, including refusing to obey and honor your parents. And, and then, there's, then there's one more verse in this, in this vein I want to share with you, but, uh, and I, <laughs> I had my son read it uh, out loud yesterday to his mom, uh, and it may have given him nightmares, okay, but this is God's word. Proverbs 30, verse 17, the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Okay, so, so in summary, children who cannot obey and respect their own parents, they're going to have a hard time in this life. That's what God's Word's saying. You're making things harder for you. That sin never takes you where you want to go. That the the happiness and the joy, the excitement, the pleasure, the satisfactions you long for, that you long for deep within your heart, you're never going to get as long as you live without serious regard for God's word. And that includes 
Ephesians 6, 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You know, I'll give you an illustration of this. Every so often I'll see this, I'll see this photo in our, that comes up. You know, Apple thinks we need to see it, look at it. And, and, and it's a funny photo. I'm glad to see it. And, 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 and even as I was thinking about it this morning, I, I can't remember I, I know why we took the photo, but I can't remember exactly the circumstances around it. As I describe the situation, you, you'll call into question my, my wisdom as a parent back then, because um, this is something that happened nine or ten years ago. And so my 12-year-old son, was, he was around three at that time, and um, you know, back then he was, he was big into superheroes. Uh, he, some of you may remember this. He, often, he alternated either wearing a Superman shirt with a cape, or a Batman shirt with a cape, but he always had a cape on, like pretty much every day. Well, the photo is, he's in our kitchen, and he has a chair pushed up next to the refrigerator. And the chair's backwards, and he's standing on top of the back of the chair, balancing, okay, and, now, and so we're taking this, we, so I guess we thought, he, we had a lot of confidence in him, so we, we took time to take the picture before getting him. But what's even more than that is, he's straining as hard as he can to get something at the top on top of the refrigerator. You know what he's trying to get? That's where the steak knives are stuck into the little knife holder, and he's trying as hard as he can to get it. And so after we take the picture, then I go over, and, and, I, and I rescue him, I grab him, and guess what? He doesn't thank me for, you know, saving his life. He's mad as a hornet, right? He can't believe that I wouldn't let him get those knives and just play with them. Right, and why is he so mad? Because he, does, he didn't know all that I knew. Right, children, one day most of you will wake up and you'll realize your parents have always loved you. They've sacrificed for you. And they were right about oh so many things. That's Paul's word to children. Then he turns to parents. Look at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now notice that the text literally says fathers. And I think that's because, one, back in the first century, fathers had absolute authority. I mean, they, they, could, they, they could have their children killed. They could disown them. They could sell them into slavery. They had absolute authority, and they often abused that authority. But I think Paul also addresses fathers here because husbands and fathers, as we're learning from the past sermons, bear the burden of headship and the burden of responsibility for their families. He addresses fathers explicitly and specifically, but, but it's clear from the context of our passage that Paul's addressing parents, both fathers and mothers. Honor your father and your mother. Right, so of course, Paul's not saying in verse 4, okay, fathers, whatever you do, don't provoke your children to anger, but hey, moms, you're free to have at it, okay, do your worst, right? That's not, that's not what Paul's saying. What Paul explicitly says to fathers also applies to mothers. This is a, a word for parents. And notice that in verse 4, there's a warning. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, there's a parallel passage to this in Colossians 3. I've made mention of it in earlier sermons. But Colossians 3, verse 21, it's very, very similar. Look at it. 
Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Do you understand what Paul is saying when he says, don't provoke them to anger? Don't provoke them to discouragement. See, Paul knows that some fathers need to be encouraged to step up, to to lead their families, to be courageous. And so he he addresses fathers directly, but Paul also knows that, that, that dads are not perfect. And we often make mistakes and we get leadership and the burden of responsibility in the home wrong. And so Paul also begins by addressing what we are not to do. And he says in verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, that that doesn't mean that parents are to never do anything that would upset or annoy or make their children angry, right? It's right to to take your three-year-old son off the chair before he kills himself with the steak knives, even though he's mad. You ought to do that. It doesn't mean that parents are to never withhold from their children something they really, really want. Parents are, required, are to require obedience from their children, even and especially when their children don't want to obey. So Ephesians 6.4 means that fathers specifically, and mothers too, should never intentionally, irresponsibly, or unnecessarily irritate, frustrate, or discourage their children. You know, one analogy that I found helpful is that parents are to be more like thermostats rather than thermometers in the home. More like thermostats, right? Just like thermostats both read and set the temperature, they read and change the temperature. Parents are called to read and to know the spiritual and emotional and relational temperature in the home, most especially with your children, most especially with teenage children, and to set the right or new spiritual, emotional, and relational temperature in the home. I mean, parents, you want to provoke your children? then why don't you whine at them about whining? That'll make everything better. You know, you want to provoke your children? Why don't you have a bigger temper tantrum than the tantrum that they're having? That'll make everything better. See, what Paul's saying is don't do that. See, in some ways, in some ways, our children are like flowers. They can be crushed if we treat them harshly, irresponsibly. See, in parents, especially fathers, but mothers too, remember your heavenly father doesn't crush you. He's always patient with you, tender with you, compassionate towards you. That's the kind of father, that's the kind of parent that God's word is calling you to be in your home. Right, so here, here are some possible causes of provoking, exasperating, and discouraging our children. You know, it happens whenever we forget the fact that they're kids and we expect too much from them. Right? They're going to make mistakes and they're going to make messes and they're going to they're break windows with balls. Whenever we, when we show favoritism, whenever we compare them to others, when we say, you know, why can't you be like him or her, your brother, your sister? Whenever we discipline them inconsistently. Right? I mean, discipline, we never discipline for mistakes or because we're inconvenienced. We only discipline for willful disobedience and defiance. Our children are provoked whenever we, we fail to express approval. Right? Children are easily discouraged when they're never praised and whenever nothing they do ever meets their parents' expectations. 
so it's important for us to celebrate the small things. And I'll admit, I, I take so many of the small things for granted, and I'm so thankful that, that my bride, Alicia, she sees those things, and she's great at doing that, and I have to work really hard at it. But we, we, we provoke our children to anger. We discourage them whenever we fail to express our love to them. Whenever we, I mean, whenever we fail to tell them with our words how much we love them. Like, they need it. They hear that. They need our hugs. They need our kisses. I mean, I, and so the one thing I do super well is I hug and kiss my kids all the time. I mean, the kids know. They know that they cannot, in the morning, if I'm out there drinking coffee and I'm reading something, they know they cannot sneak by me without me saying, oh, no, no, come back. And there's going to be hugs. There's going to be kisses. Even though I do that, even though I do that, my young son, he would often ask me if I liked him. And that's even with me saying to him, son, I wouldn't trade you for any other boy in the world. Like you, I love you. But he would still wonder, do, I, do you like me? Right? We, we, we exasperate and discourage our kids whenever we're too busy with work and hobbies to, to play with them, to have fun with them. See, if you're always too busy, then you are too busy, and you need to make changes to be available. We provoke them whenever we pressure them to pursue our goals and our dreams instead of theirs. We discourage them whenever we withdraw love from them as a punishment or we smother them with overprotection and we refuse to let them grow up. You see, if you failed in these areas, then no, there really is grace for you. And so confess, repent where you need to do so, and, and, and maybe even ask forgiveness from your children, but don't let past failures determine the future. Commit to making the most of the time you have left to pour into your children. But, but listen again to the warning and listen to the duties that follow. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know, I mentioned earlier that in many ways our kids are like flowers, so we don't want to crush them. But our young children are also like wet cement. Wet cement, and we need to intentionally shape them and mold them while we can. And the time to shape them and mold them is a lot shorter than what many of us realize. So what Paul says in verse 4 is that we are to, to bring them up. That, that phrase, bring them up, literally means to nourish them. And Paul used it earlier to describe how a husband is to care for and nourish his bride as he does his own body. So in that same way, parents are to tenderly bring up and raise each of their children with tender care. Pastor Richard Phillips says, God's word directs fathers to be lovingly involved with their children. Fathers nurture their children by giving them attention, time, affection. And this means getting on our knees to play games with little kids. Throwing the ball in the backyard, taking an interest in ballet, reading stories, giving hugs. Mothers are called to nurture, too, especially through kind and encouraging words. Then we see, well, I'll tell you this story. Benjamin West was a, was a British-American painter in the 1700s, early 1800s, and he, he painted several famous historical scenes. And the stories told whenever he was little, he was playing with his younger sister, Sally. While they were playing, he came across a bottle of ink, some colored ink, and he decided he was going to paint her portrait. And he did, and he also got ink everywhere else. And whenever their mother found them, 
She saw the terrible mess, and she saw the portrait. And she went over, and she picked up the portrait and said, why, it's, it's Sally. And she kissed her son, and years later, Benjamin West would say, my mother's kiss made me a painter. You know, that story, and that's a challenge for me because I, I'm often way too quick to blame and, and get mad whenever I see the mess. But we need to let that challenge us to bring up our children with tender care. Then looking again at verse 4, we see this last duty. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. See, how do we nourish, grow, care for, shape our children? Well, it's with the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That word translated discipline means training with discipline. We're to bring them up with tender care. But of course, it doesn't mean we never discipline. That We, we cannot you know, indulge our children's um, selfishness and their sinfulness. We have to put healthy and needed boundaries around them. But a parent's discipline is not to be punitive. It's not the parent taking revenge. But it's always to be corrective. And it's joined with instruction, with the instruction of the Lord. And of course, the instruction of the Lord means that we are to teach the children, our children, the Bible. You know, to train them. As we see in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That word training, training in righteousness, it's the same word that refers to child rearing. And so simply put, and you already know this, but your kids need to learn the Bible. I mean, we're going to teach them the Bible as much as we can in our children's ministry, in our student ministry, but they need to learn the Bible from you. They've got to learn the Bible. There's no alternative. That the Bible is the Word of God, and it's the only place that your children will ever learn who God is and who they were made to be and what duty God requires of them. Only the Bible will teach them that they're sinners in need of a Savior. Only the Bible will tell them of the Savior, Christ, and the righteous, perfect life he's lived in their place, and his atoning death on the cross, and his glorious, victorious resurrection from the grave. Only the Bible will, will tell them that if they trust in Christ, that his shed blood on the cross, his atoning sacrifice, will cancel their sin debt completely will wash them clean. Only the Bible tells them about how Christ will credit them with his righteousness, clothe them in his robes of righteousness. Only the Bible tells them of this promise of a new birth, of a new heart, of the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, enabling them to walk in newness of life. See, there's no substitute for teaching your children the Bible. And you can do it, and our, our pastors would love to get resources into your hand and, and share with you what we do with our families, but, but you can do it. It doesn't have to be more than a verse or a few verses once a week or a few days a week. It can be in the morning before school. It can be at night before bed. But you see, the best plan is the plan that you never stop restarting, that you never stop taking back up again. And I mean, there are countless other teachable moments Seemingly ordinary, everyday, mundane moments, which really are opportunities to point our children to God and to His Word and to His grace for them in Christ. But, but fathers and mothers, 
We have to be people of the Word of God ourselves if we're going to take advantage of these countless moments with our children, right? We can't give away to our children what we don't possess ourselves. You see, and the key is to begin to do it, to begin to, to learn and love the Bible for yourself. And as you begin to share God's Word with your children, do it with wisdom and thoughtfulness, with proportion, with sincerity. I mean, you don't want your time of family Bible study and worship to be mindless, cold, or, or a mere formality, right? Because you're never ever merely aiming to fill their heads with knowledge, but you're aiming to fill their hearts with love for Christ and His Word and His church. So let me ask you, parents, is that your aim for your children? Is it to fill their hearts with love for Christ, his word, and his church? Is that really your target? Would, would how you spend your time with the, with the family calendar, would that communicate to someone that is the target you're aiming for? You see, friends, so, so many parents in our city, especially this part of the city, define success in parenting merely in terms of academic performance, athletic achievement, musical ability, social likability. I mean, th these, th these things matter, and, and it's not wrong to pursue any of these things. I hope my kids do well in all of those things. But without our children knowing and loving Christ, those things, those things are meaningless if they have all of these things and they don't know and love Christ. And so I know, I know, I know it's stormy outside and, and, and I know it's a long sermon and I know there's a whole lot that we've been thinking about and wrestling with. And so let me end with a challenge and with an encouragement. Here's the challenge. It's a sobering challenge. Sinclair Ferguson says, sometimes it seems like we have our children in our home for a long time. But one day it will seem to have been very short. Family life is not a video that we can rewind in order to start again. That we're given one opportunity, extended over time, and we need to use it well. Here's, here's, and here's a, a father's confession that I saw in multiple places this week. The father says, my family's all grown, and the kids are all gone. But if I had to do it over again, this is what I would do. I would love my wife more in front of my children. I would laugh with my children more at our mistakes and our joys. I would pray more diligently for my family. I would do more things together with my children. I would encourage them more and bestow more praise. I would pay more attention to little things like deeds and words of thoughtfulness. And then finally, if I had to do it all over again, I would share God more intimately with my family. Every ordinary thing that happened in every ordinary day, I would use to direct them to God. You see, parents of young kids, the time really does fly. And you can't rewind the video. But let me give you an encouragement. Kevin DeYoung says, it's harder to ruin our kids than we think. Harder to stamp them for success than we'd like. We fear that a few wrong moves will ruin our children forever and at the same time assume that the right combination of protection and instruction will invariably produce godly children. 
One of the most resilient myths of parenting is that parenting creates the child. And I think he's right. I think that's what, that's what this passage is teaching us. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. See, our parenting matters, but thankfully, it's not all that matters. Right? That God moves and works by his spirit through his word in the hearts of our children, even through our very imperfect and flawed attempts at parenting. In Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 4, it does. It gives us principles and directions and warnings and promises and duties, but it doesn't give us a magic formula. It's not do all of this, out pops perfect, godly, awesome Presbyterian kids. So what do you do? You be faithful. What does faithfulness look like? Let me end with this. The third, the third vow that parents make every time we baptize a covenant child is this. Do you now unreservedly dedicate your child to God and promise in humble reliance upon divine grace that you will endeavor to set before your child a godly example, that you will pray with and for your child, that you will teach your child the doctrines of our holy religion, and that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring your child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now look at that, and I want to talk through it very quickly, because I want every time you hear a parent say it, you'll hear it next week if you come to this service at the baptism. Every time you hear this, I want this to encourage you. What, he, what his vow says is remember that your child belongs to God. You are entrusted with them for a time, for a season. And while you're parenting them, listen, you need to believe the gospel. That there really is more grace in Christ than there is sin in your heart. And so you need to rest in God's grace and goodness. But you're called to be faithful. Do your very best to set a godly example. To bring them to church. To love your spouse. To love them. To love Christ. And whenever you fail, admit it. Own it. Repent in front of them. Ask for their forgiveness. Your children really are rooting for you. I promise you they are. Be faithful. Pray for your children. And seek to teach them the Bible. And so don't lose heart and don't give up on your efforts to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, Lord, my, my prayer is that that this would not be another, another brick in the backpack sermon where people came in burdened and they leave extra burdened. But rather, Father, we would be that we would be challenged and convicted where we need to be challenged and convicted. That we, we would be willing to confess and to repent sin to our parents, to our children, where we need to. May we be patient and compassionate with one another, quick to forgive and to extend grace. But also pray, Father, that we would, we would be encouraged to have a vision for our families, for our parents, for our parenting, perhaps even recalibrate some of our goals, rethink our calendars. But they would, we would realize that there really, there ultimately is There's no alternative.
for faithfully parenting our children to setting a godly example, praying, teaching them the scriptures, bringing them to church. Lord, may you move and work by your spirit, through your word, in our hearts and our families. We ask this in Jesus' name.